0: so tonight I want to continue with the theme that seems to be appearing some theme around the sense of ourself and who we take ourselves to be and the way we get caught in certain patterns and fixed ideas about ourselves and then continue looking at how we come out of that spiritual path, the spiritual teachings really help us, support us to come out of this fixed idea about ourselves which is so limiting and, and can be so painful for us when we lose connection with uh, the deeper dimensions of our being. And so what we're doing is continuing to explore and look at what actually interferes with that connection and how can we feel more deeply into that? How can we live more from that uh, truer place of ourselves? Some of you might know that I, uh, some years ago, some five, six years ago, um, was studying one of the texts, uh, of the Pali Canon of the Buddha's teachings of the Majjhima Nikaya, and it was uh, quite a good study for me because I found out a lot about what the Buddha actually taught rather than just what my teachers, Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield, taught, which sometimes I wasn't sure which was which. So it was really good finding out that my teachers were actually teaching some of the Buddha's teachings <laughs> because you're never really quite sure until you you know, examine for yourself what the Buddha actually taught. So... Um, in one of the discourses that I came about, I was struck by a, a particular um, teaching that the Buddha gave, um, which I thought was, reading it was as if a teacher could have been saying this in the you know 21st century. Um, in this particular sutta, which was sort of it's called The Greater Discourse on the, way, the Ways of Undertaking Things, but sometimes the names don't necessarily um, point to what's in the discourse. But in this particular one uh, here, the Buddha states a wish that people have, and of course the, the suttas are in present tense because the Buddha is giving the teachings. and um, I wrote that is as relevant today as 2,500 years ago. And this is what the Buddha said, that people, this is what people wish. If only unwished for, undesired, disagreeable things would diminish. And wished for, desired, agreeable things would increase. If only that could happen, then I'd be happy. In other words, if only things I don't want would go away and I could get what I want more often. Isn't that just <laughs> what's happening? Like most of the time, you know, that's what we're wishing for. If these unpleasant things would go away and more pleasant things would arise. And when I read that, I was really struck because, you know, that was so long ago. And in some ways, it seems that the human psychology, at a very kind of basic way, hasn't really changed very much. It seems like in a, we're sort of so caught in this, you know, wanting certain things to come about and and not wanting other things to be here. It's really that "if only" lament if only i could have this or if only this would happen or if only it would be like this you know this if only which is you know in western psychology one of those those phrases that you're supposed to be very watchful of because it's just leading you down a road of more pain anytime you think if only because it may not turn out quite the way you want it to so if we're really wishing for these disagreeable things to go away, I think it's worthwhile to really look at what makes something disagreeable. Why is our experience so disagreeable sometimes? I mean, when we really look at it at a very basic level, and I think this is something we can do with our mindfulness and our investigation, is really look at these unpleasant situations and say, what what is it about what's going on right now that I'll do anything to get away from it or to change it? So basically, I think when I look really carefully and when things are broken down, it's basically the way it feels at a feeling level, the way it feels in our experience, the way it feels in our body. We don't like unpleasant feelings, and 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 we can actually br- just come right down to the momentary feeling itself, the unpleasant feeling itself, in just any given moment, and just see we don't want that. You know, it's like how can how can I change this? And it, in a way, it's it's what we've been exploring a little bit with the resistance is like. So often we we can think that the unpleasantness and the resistance to that is what motivates us to change, is to move because we don't want to feel that unpleasantness. So so it can encourage that sense of well something's got to be done. It's almost the belief that if I'm not feeling good, very simply, if I'm not feeling good one way or the other, I must be doing something wrong. And there's a way that we even might personalize that. It's, it's, I'm not feeling good because I'm doing something wrong, rather than there's an unpleasant experience arising and at some point it will change because it has to. You know, but so often we take it personally that I must be doing something wrong so therefore there must be a way to be or something to do that is right you know if i'm doing something wrong then i have to find that which is right and in other words something needs to be fixed you know there's a problem i'm doing something wrong and i have to do it right and so we get into this fixing mentality as a, as a way of being now, we have to fix something i'm a problem usually it's i'm the problem <laughs> and i need to be fixed and perhaps if we look at our meditation you know and our meditation through the day we might have a sense that when we're not feeling very good in the meditation we may have some unpleasant you know, agitation or some pain in the body or uh, a, a grumpy mood or there's you know i must be doing something wrong that often can be the way that we we understand the experience rather than this is just what's occurring right now this is just the way it is right now you know, kind of kind of you know we can see though too those of you who have been practicing for a while have looked at this for a while you can maybe reflect on that's one of the movements that happens in our attitude is that perhaps we're not personalizing our experience quite as much, but we can begin to see, oh, yeah, it's not me so much, it's just agitation arising or unpleasantness arising. And then seeing if there's some way that we can actually uh, uh, begin to tolerate. Sometimes I really feel it's a a, a learning to tolerate even though that sounds maybe that doesn't sound so settled you know um, but there's a kind of a way of, of learning to have more capacity maybe that's a better way of saying it you know that we increase our capacity more and more to be able to, ex- to experience these difficult aspects of our, ex- of our experience so you might reflect on that for yourself in your meditations. I mean if that if that's something that occurs for you, a sense of this it's almost like it can it can become such an ingrained pattern that you know even when when something's going well and this happens so much for people, when something's going well, we really want to hold on to it because We don't want it to change back into the unpleasantness, you know, and we can feel agitated about the fact that we know it's probably going to change. And so we're holding on, and so therefore we're actually not getting a chance to really feel the fullness of the pleasure that's here (laughs) because we're already anticipating the loss of it because we don't want that unpleasantness. And so often then the grasping or the holding comes in, arises in the middle of our happy situations or our pleasant situations because of the the knowing very well that it will change. We know that it will change, but we don't want to really completely acknowledge that. So, so, yet the agitation and the fear can still arise, the, the attachment can still arise. So we can get caught in this right and wrong duality. You know, this is right, this is wrong. When I do this, I'm right. When I do this, I'm wrong. And, and, and then just kind of try to keep finding what's right and how to do it right. And of course, when I do it right, then I'm 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 good. I'm you know, doing well, I feel good about myself. And when it feels wrong or I feel bad, then I'm bad some way. So we can, we can swing, get caught in this polarity of right and wrong and good and bad. And this is very much the position of the ego or the position of the small self. The ego only knows polarities that its existence is based on the polarities. the small self, the sense of self, is always trying to find something else that's going to be better or happier or more content the, the ego is never satisfied and so when we're identified with ourselves as the small self, as the ego we are never satisfied because the ego is never satisfied kind of a disturbing thought on some level because we find ourselves identified so often. But what we're identified with is that, that need, which is the pattern of the ego, is to find that which is right, and what's right is going to feel good and make me happy. So we get caught in some kind of perpetual search that can never come to an end until we actually see through the ego itself and the way we identify with that position that's what spiritual practice is about it's like getting out of the whole game completely that game of duality of polarity so we're just not even caught up in that anymore maybe really at a more basic level there is no right and wrong Let's read this um, little story, it seems to sit here, it's from a Shasid, a Sufi, Sufi story. Two disciples of an old rabbi were arguing about the true path to God. One said that the path was built on effort and energy. You must give yourself totally and fully with all your effort to follow the way of the law. To pray to pay attention to live rightly the second disciple disagreed it is not effort at all that is only based on ego it is pure surrender to follow the way to God to awaken is to let go of all things and live the teachings not my will but thine as they could not agree on who was right they went to see the master He listened as the first disciple praised the path of wholehearted effort, and when asked by this disciple, is this the true path, the master said, you're right. The second disciple was quite upset and responded eloquently about the path of surrender and letting go. When he had finished, he said, is this not the true path? And the master replied, you're right. A third student, who was sitting there, said, But Master, they can't both be right. And the Master smiled and said, You're right, too. (laughs) So maybe there's somewhere else that we have to go. Somewhere else we have to look to find out what's right. And maybe we don't even need to throw out the word right. Maybe we just need to really look at it in a completely different way. This is also uh, Sufi Rumi, the great poet Rumi. Out beyond our ideas of right and wrong, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When we lay down in that grass, even our ideas of you and me fade away even our ideas of you and me fade away because it seems that we have to move beyond our ideas it's so much of what the meditation and the teachings point to is the letting go of the constructs letting go of our conceptual structures of the way we think things are, particularly the structure that builds ourselves up into somebody, this self that we think we are. And so in the meditation, we begin to let go. We see the thoughts arise, we see the patterns arise, and we say, just for now, bring a little doubt to what's arising in the mind don't believe everything that is arising in your mind let go drop in to this present moment in some other way than you have been reinforcing for your whole life and as we do that as we begin to let go of these constructs and these ideas we can then begin to listen to something else it's not that there's nothing there when we let go, but actually there is a quieter inner voice, we might say, or rumbling, or, or some kind of intuition, or, or some kind of sense of things that begin to speak to us. And One way that I like to talk about it is as if the mind, when we let go, it's as if our mind drops into our heart. And sometimes I actually experience that, where all the mental rumblings and the activity, when it starts to get quiet, there feels like there's actually a dropping of that energy into my heart, into my, m- more of the center of my, of my body. And it seems that then there's the possibility of touching the seat of our wisdom something that is more wise, that is more true than anything that our mental uh, small mind can fabricate, something that seems to touch some, something that's much more deep and profound and vast. And perhaps there, from this place, the, the sense of what's right can take on a very different meaning because perhaps we have a sense from there of knowing what's right and it may not be a right that is an absolute right meaning that it's right for all beings and all times and all universes you know like some absolute law but it's right for me you know it's it's, it's my truth it may not be your truth but it's my truth and I know that because when I feel into it, when I sense into it, something comes into alignment. There's a way that I feel a sense of wholeness in myself. It's, so, it's almost like something wakes up in my being. Something starts to sing. There's almost like the right pitch, the right tone in my being and we all may have different ways of, of experiencing or sensing when we come into that alignment with what's right or another way of saying it is what's true my truth our individual truth and in a way then we don't have to look for an absolute truth you know perhaps there there is an absolute truth and, and I won't even say perhaps. I mean, there is an absolute truth, but as soon as you start to put some kind of words around it, then everybody starts disagreeing. That's not the absolute truth, it's this absolute truth. And yet, I wonder, and I certainly have some sense, that a lot of people are talking about the same thing, but as soon as they start opening their mouths, they just get into trouble. If everybody would just keep their mouths shut, maybe we'd be a lot better off. And maybe that's why we, you know, the silence is kind of a nice refuge for us, because we are encouraged to keep our mouth shut. <laughs> and we know that we don't experience um, as much difficulty um, with other people when, <laughs> when we stay more quiet, when we are a little bit more silent, you know and yet it's not that we don't feel some kind of truth that we're all sharing here together you know we we share something in the silence we share something that is you know not even really possible in some level to name and yet my sense is that we're all feeling something together we experience something together we hold something together and so maybe you know maybe it doesn't need to be named in a way that this is true for everyone but i think that each one of us can say this is the way i see it this is what feels true for me this is what feels right for me and it may be different than your view or your way but i respect that i can respect i would i'd like you to respect my way and i can respect your way and it might, it might be a way that we begin to meet each other in a much more harmonious way if we can feel into that in our individual truth. Because each one of us really is the expert on our own experience. Nobody can become an expert on your experience. Nobody can and so since each one of us are the expert then perhaps we need to speak with more authority and confidence about what's happening for us nobody can take that away ultimately nobody can take that away people try to take it away but nobody at a very basic fundamental level can take that away so as we feel into this location of our being which is not the location of the ego but i would say perhaps i call it the location of our wisdom or our intuitive wisdom or our inner wisdom from here maybe we can touch something reliable maybe this is reliable for us i mean it may be that it, at first it doesn't seem so reliable cuz we may get a lot of mixed messages and that might be confusing and you know does we can't really trust that we're touching something that's true and wise and we don't feel the confidence we don't we can't fully trust but as we keep sensing and feeling and and and, and begin to trust we get more and more evidence that what we're touching is true is real is reliable. Because I don't think that the thinking, analytical, discursive mind is very reliable. Does anyone else share this opinion with me? (laughs) Have you found any way to be able to rely (laughs) on your thinking mind? and if we can't rely on that there must be something that we can rely on there must be somewhere we can stand firm and steady and confident and i think the spiritual teachings are pointing us to this which which is often called the the enlightened being the awakened I, don't, I hesitate to call it a state because it's not a state. A state sounds too static. But this sense of the awakeness, the awakening within us, which is reliable, ultimately, fully, totally reliable. So from here, I think that our question might change for us rather than looking for what's right and what's wrong you know as we as we kind of you know scan our mind you know well is this right is this right am i is this you know am i doing this wrong or you know there's kind of this whole sense of just being off off balance as we drop drop down Maybe the question could be something more like, if I go in this direction, is this going to be helpful for more happiness, for more contentment, for more freedom in my life? If I go in this direction, is this going to lead me to more pain, to more suffering, to more conflict, to more disease? So if the question actually changes more for not what's right or what's wrong, but but what is actually going to support me for my awakening, for my my deepest longing for uh, for happiness, for contentment, for satisfaction, for freedom from suffering, or from whatever words that that you put on that for yourself, because it seems that we really do have many many moments in the day where we have some choice that arises we have a crossroads in front of us we can go in one direction or we can go in another direction and that the more sensitive we become the more present we become with ourselves we will have more access to what those crossroads actually are rather than feeling more like a state of kind of confusion or or just uncertainty or not knowing what's happening, you know, but to say, oh yeah, it's like this. I could go that way or I could go this way. And in a very simple way, it could just be, you know, it's time for walking meditation and you really don't want to do your walking meditation, so so there's something pulling you just to go get a cup of tea and sitting under a tree for a half an hour. And you just, okay, I could go do my walking meditation or I could go get the cup of tea. So if we kind of bring that more fully into our awareness and we actually consider, what is the most helpful thing for me right now for my, my sense of ease, my sense of awakening of freedom? The truth is, it might be either one. It's not that one is right and the other one is wrong. How many of you were thinking that going to get a cup of tea was wrong? <laughs> because I think that we, you know, we can have that in our minds. You know, it's, it, this is this is what we're supposed to do, and we're not supposed to do that. And yet, if we again we sense in more fully, it's like well, well, it's not right and wrong. It's like well, what do I need right now? Perhaps I'm really struggling. I've been struggling for a day and a half, you know, I've just been, my mind's really distracted and I'm feeling really moody and, you know, I really need to go sit down under the tree with a cup of tea for a little bit. If I walk, it's just pushing too far past my capacity to deal with it. That's one side. Or it might be the other way where, well, Let's see. I've been kind of taking it easy. You know, I've been cruising a little bit. You know, I haven't actually been working that hard. And it would really be nice to go sit under the tree, but I'm not sure that maybe I need to do a little bit more to really support what I came here for, my, my deeper motivation, my deeper intention for why I came. I'm going to go walk. So, so we, we can kind of sense in. Of course, that's a a simple example. Sometimes we have much bigger, you know, much more important kind of life decisions or, you know, kind of more things, some some things that might be happening in a moment that feel conflictual with another person. And What do we do? How do we proceed? And we won't know. We won't always have access to what feels right for us or what's right for us. And sometimes time is marching on and we have to just respond. And many times we might make a mistake. We might not f- find out till afterwards, a little bit longer, uh, even an hour, could be a week. And we, we, we realize, oh, yeah, I could have done it this way. And then when that comes, when that arises, then we can mark that so that when we get into the situation again, we actually have more information about ourselves to help us make a decision a little bit differently that is more supportive, that is healthier for us. And yet we need to keep paying attention. Because the only way to really know what is right, what our truth is, our momentary truth, and it changes, that's the other kind of slippery thing, is that something that might feel right one moment and the next moment might not be the right thing. And so we really are called on to stay very immediate with ourselves just in case something changes pretty quickly are we there for it are we present for ourselves because the first thing that has to happen is we have to invite in this presence this mindful way of being because it's only the presence that allows us to actually see what's happening so that we can put what's happening on the table look at it well and then not get into our either kind of rejecting kind of patterns or holding and attaching kind of patterns but to be able to just say yeah it's like this right now how do i need to respond to this what needs to happen right now how do i need to move in this situation right now without getting caught in our Expectations of ourselves and ideals about who I'm supposed to be and, and all the messages that have come to me most of my life from my parents and all the outer authorities and, and the, the, the religious institutions and the government. and you know, We're under some pressure here. We've got a lot of messages, a lot of mixed messages, a lot of influences over our life. We call this our conditioning this is the conditioned self the self that has formed into an ego structure a kind of an egoic structure and so now we're looking we're drawing on this this mindful presence this consciousness the light of our consciousness to take a look at this conditioned self say oh wow look at that I've been doing this for a long time do I want to keep going down that road? Gosh, I didn't even know I was doing it. And then one day we kind of wake up and we go, Oh, I've I've had this, you know, I've had this. Sometimes it's really painful, you know, to kind of wake up after like 10 years. You wake up and you go, Wow, what was I doing? (laughs) You know, how did I get caught in that? And sometimes we can feel like we've just woken up from a dream or some kind of a trance that we just didn't even we couldn't get out of we wake up and we go oh yeah i don't want to do that anymore and then we just start backtracking as quick as we can so that we don't just keep going in the same direction anymore you know but we have to wake up and sometimes that waking up also is not our responsibility. It's not It's not like we can make ourselves wake up. If we could do that, everything would be a lot easier, but we can't. It's like, it's really one of the mysteries about the spirit, spiritual practice is what what actually happens that we wake up in a moment, you know that we or or we've been lost for ten minutes or fifteen minutes and then all of a sudden we're back and what happened? How did that happen? Did you pull yourself back? Probably not. Sometimes we can kind of see that we're drifting off. there's enough awareness, there's enough consciousness and we can kind of... Pull ourselves back into a little bit more of an energetic state, but sometimes we are gone. You have that experience. You, you, just, you know, you're out in Thailand or somewhere, you know, or you know, back when you were five years old, and you know, or with your with your partner, you know, a couple months ago, or and then and then then there's the the, the moment you wake up, and, and then you realize, oh yeah, I'm at Guy House. You know, I'm sitting here, and it's, it's really as if just you, you've been completely asleep. And sometimes, you know, in the traditions, they call it sleepwalking, you know, that we're sleepwalking through life, because, because there, there, are more, there are different levels of this awareness, different levels of this consciousness. We wake up, even when we wake up a little bit, there's still more levels of waking up to do there are more dimensions of this light of this brightness of this luminosity so so we it's like what is that sometimes sometimes the only only way that I can think about it this waking up is a kind of a grace it's like a state of grace it's a it's a blessing it's like it's like <laughs> You know, just some, some beautiful thing happens that I become conscious again, I become awake again. And so we can't even say, in a way, I do that. So if I say that I, I don't do that, then it seems that we have to have so much more kindness towards ourselves for the times that we're not so awake so much more patience, so much more compassion for ourselves because there's not really much we can do you know, if, there was, if there was really something we could do then maybe we could take a little bit more responsibility but from one way of looking at it there's nothing we can do but when we are awake when the presence is there then we have some responsibility then we have choice because then it's possible for us to be able to to discriminate our experience one of the aspects of consciousness or awareness is what's called discriminating wisdom It's one of the facets of consciousness This is the ability to be able to know our experience for what it is, to know it and to discriminate it, to be able to say, yeah, that's a thought, that's a feeling, that's a sensation. We can begin to to identify the different aspects of our experience, to break down different aspects of our experience. Consciousness has this quality of knowingness the ability to know what's what and as we become more sensitive and there's more understanding that awakens through this exploration then we can begin to discriminate in a more subtle way we can begin to actually discriminate when there's anger or when there's hurt or when there's happiness when there's grief we can know our experience at a more subtle level of our being And then we can even break down our experience further by being able to discriminate between what's called the bear experience, the bare experience like hearing or the taste or the touch in our skin, a sound at the ear, a sight, a beautiful sight at our eyes, or just the the thought arising and passing the difference between our bare experience and then what we put on top of the experience with our judgments and our opinions and our views and our our reactions in other words the story that builds up on top of just a bare sensation for example we have a sensation in our stomach. And then the whole story can build up around that. You know, oh, I don't want this now. This is going to last for a long time. Oh, what does this mean about me? Maybe I'm really sick. I don't want to be here. No, 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 no. But rather than, it's just this unpleasantness in my stomach right now, and I don't like it we can begin to discriminate the difference between the simplicity of our experience and then the whole conceptual layer we say the the whole conceptual structure that gets built up on top of a momentary experience when we can begin to see this differentiation this is a doorway into freedom freedom from the identification with the sense of self the sense of me because me gets built up through the story the judgments the opinions the views the ideas the expectations the beliefs the reactions the attachments I was just speaking with somebody earlier and i don't think she would mind if i say this um, she She was having a a lot of pain today one of the yogis here and she came in and she was speaking to me and she said she said i had this this awareness today and she said she was out in the garden and she saw a little rabbit there's lots of rabbits all around the garden she said she saw a rabbit and she said and i thought i don't think a rabbit when a rabbit's not feeling very well it makes a big deal out of it it just thinks this is the way it is. It's just the way it is. It's not like everything is going to fall apart. It's just the way the rabbit is. And then she realized, in contrast, that when she was having this pain and this illness, she was, how she could see the whole story that she was building up in her mind around it and had a sense of that differentiation, of that distinction between the possibility of that. what would it really mean just to experience this as it is, just for what it is, without building up a big story about it. The more we can make this discrimination, the more we are able to separate our reactions and our fixed ideas about ourselves and then the more we're able to really find out who we are who we are at a more subtle level of our being not who we are in terms of our personality and our conditioned self we find that out too through the investigation but as we start to break that down and not give as much credence to that whole structure that's building up in the mind We begin to find out who am i who am i really who am i if i'm not identifying with all those stories who am i really if i just let myself feel and sense and respond it's not just feel and do nothing and be passive and turn into a vegetable and then not function in our lives anymore. I think sometimes I've even had that thought that enlightenment must be something like that, you know, where then we're just not motivated to do anything anymore because everything feels so great. So why even move? You know, it's just sort of just you just dissolve into light. You know, I think there's probably some aspect that that's true, but I think that the enlightened being doesn't stay there. Well, it does. He he or she does not because the Buddha didn't. The Buddha had this this full realization and awakening and then decided with a little help to teach for the next 45, 50 years of his life. Out of his compassion for all beings and the suffering of all beings. Very motivated, very committed in his life. But then would retreat to the forest For a little rejuvenation and when asked why do you go to the forest why do you meditate anymore if you're fully enlightened and he said well it's the most pleasurable thing to do why not (laughs) you know you had a choice you could go to the forest and meditate and feel the bliss of of the absorption states and the jhanas, or we could go to the villages and work with the suffering people. He had a choice. So this, as we find out more and more who we are, we can respond to life from a place of wisdom, from a place of knowing what might be the most beneficial response beneficial for me and beneficial for the other and beneficial for the situation at hand because we're moving from a place of a, a deep connection with all things With have access not just we're not confined we're not limited we're not um uh, narrowed by this small idea of ourselves but we start to open more fully to the truth of our being which moves us into more the vastness of who we are we're not this small limited being that we think we are it's who we think we are it's only through the thought of who we are as we let go of the thought there's something that is something to know that is much more there's a possibility for us beyond anything that we can even imagine imagination again is it's just the mind it's just the thinking mind it's it's the small polarized dualistic way of thinking about the world which is confined so we begin to drop out into something that is unconfined something that is unconditioned, is not bound by the laws of this world. We start to touch into the nature, or sometimes we call it the true nature, of who we are. So this requires us to challenge a lot of our old patterns and our self-images we're really we really need to be courageous in a way just to, to do this it's not really for the faint-hearted that's why there aren't hordes of people who come to Gaia House you know we really have to look very directly and radically at ourselves in ways that may be hard or may, may be frightening might be painful and in a way that's what spiritual practice does it starts breaking up the structures or in a way we might say we break up the world as we know it and we become terrified and so that's why we need so much courage we really need so much courage to keep continue to look at the truth even when things become scary and to face the fact that we will feel insecure as we go forward into the unknown. The insecurity and the vulnerability are part of the journey. There's no way around it. We would like there to be a way around it. I know I sure was looking for a way around it. But I couldn't find a way around it, and I had to keep kind of going back to my experience, which felt scary and vulnerable and insecure and anxious, anxious and until I finally got that that's what I really need to be with. Because that's the part, that's the stage of the path. When things start to break down, as we stand in the middle of not knowing which is right where we arrive because as things break apart we haven't been there before and our mind isn't really able to support us because our thinking mind only knows about what what has happened in the past it only has that information it only has the data of the past how else would the mind know anything So we have to draw on something else that knows, something else that already has the intelligence that can support us and is reliable for this journey. The spiritual path is scary, but it is also exhilarating. The journey is exciting. It's beautiful, it's creative, and all the while we are on the edge of the vulnerability at the same time. I think that's in a way how we, we know that the letting go has happened. I said, well, the, the vulner, when the vulnerability is there, there's, there's something that's much more true in a way. They're both there, kind of, the, they're all there, sort the, of the terror and the, and the excitement and the vulnerability. We're leaving the old behind and going into the new and the unexpected. A couple months ago when I was home, I saw there was this documentary on TV. Oh sixty 60 Minutes. We have this show in the U.S. called 60 Minutes and there's like these 10-15 minute clips. And on this particular week there was this clip of this... Um, Man who was um, it was present time this man who they they have just invented and, and put together a space capsule that an individual person can go into and go out of the atmosphere into orbit kind of a I think they're doing this so that eventually people can pay money and go on a trip outside of the atmosphere is kind of another thing to do, you know, just because we're always looking for more things to do, more exciting and adventurous things to do. So they finally have developed this particular space capsule for uh, one person that they just, he goes up, he just goes out of the atmosphere and then comes back. Well, they were showing this, they documented this whole, this first journey, and this was only this year. And this man, who had been, who'd been um, uh, learning and uh, practicing for this space shuttle, it got into the, to the space shuttle and uh, first time it's ever been done and um, just was shot out. And they had the camera in the space <laughs> capsule and <laughs> went up <laughs> or went into orbit for just a very short time and then came right back down just for the test. And I was thinking, wow. That takes a lot of courage. I mean, that is going right into the unknown. I mean, nobody has done it quite in that way before. You know, it's been done in, you know, very sophisticated and, you know, with the whole Cape Canaveral thing and everything, you know. But just for some guy to get in a little space shuttle, you know, in somebody's backyard and, you know, <laughs> and sort of take off, wow, I thought, that, that's courageous. And I thought, it's just, in a way, just what we're doing all the time. You know, we, it, we don't know where we're going or what we're doing. And it, and it can feel very much the same way sometimes for us when we really let ourselves experience that vulnerability. Where are we going? What are we doing? Going right into the unknown. So this is really our journey, you know, seeing if we can let go of these structures that we have created for ourselves, that have been created as well for ourselves by all the outside influences, begin to sense into, to feel into something else within our being that is reliable for this journey something that we can trust, that we can have confidence in for this journey. And it's not that we are arriving at some final destination, but I think it's more so that we are really witnessing the unfoldment of our journey, where we are arriving At truth, moment after moment after moment. Let's sit together for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org